Look, I'll cut to the chase. This week's episode of What the Conspiracy is on a Russian biolaboratory explosion you've never heard of. It occurred in late 2019, and it's interesting because of the lack of conspiracy theories around it. Okay, why are you telling me this in advance? Oh, because otherwise you'd spend time in the intro trying to get the topic out of me, and it's been a long, long week, and I just don't have the energy to avoid your penetrating questions. Mm. Or... This is a double bluff. What? Well, you, you want me to think the episode is on... Sorry, what was it again? A biolab explosion in 2019. Yeah, okay. So you want me to think that, so I won't work out what you're really talking about this week. No, that's this week's topic. Furthermore, at no point ever in the admittedly short history of these intros concerning what the conspiracy has anyone actually managed to get the topic out of the other person, so it makes no sense whatsoever that should give the topic away unless it's a very elaborate double bluff. Okay, you got me. This week's episode is on space ghosts coming to a solar system near you. Or maybe that's the double bluff. Or maybe it's this. Presidential candidates who fake their own attack ads. Uh... Or maybe it's about how I'm going home to sleep with your wife. And <laughs> you would have got away with it too if it weren't for my meddling kids. Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Here in Auckland, New Zealand, I'm Josh Addison, and in Zhuhai, China, it's Associate Professor of Philosophy and backing vocalist on Mozart Symphony No. 12 in G Major, Dr. M. Denton. La 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 Although that's really more Mozart than it is Beethoven. Hmm. See, it's funny because there's no no vocals in his in his symphony. It's an orchestra well, piece. Well, at least that's not the, the symphonies which have ever been that's publicly where the released. Of the, yep. Anyway, uh, it's we're here. Uh, we're recording. Fingers crossed, but the connection actually seems okay. Uh, who knows how long that'll last? Um, it's a what the conspiracy episode this week, and Em's gonna throw something in my face. Do we have anything to um, get out of the way before that? I actually don't think we have any don't administration. No, that's nice. Um, well, then, then, then good. Then we can not waste time, in which uh, time our, our connection could die again, and go straight into it. Uh, how about you play, play one of them little old chimes? I'll put a chime in around about here. Okay, Josh, it is time to play What the Conspiracy. So we have the usual three questions. The first question, when the conspiracy. The second question being, where the conspiracy. And the third and final question being, what the conspiracy. So, when the conspiracy. Right, well, you mentioned 2019 in the intro, which was either a double bluff or possibly just some sort of a Freudian stumble on your part when you inadvertently let the cat out of the bag. So I'm going to say 2019. 
Um, I'm going okay, to quite... Okay, so when is 2019? Where is 2019? the conspiracy? Where I'm going to quite deliberately not learn from your mistake last time we did this, when you could have given any location on planet Earth and been right and yet chose to go into outer space. Uh, I'm going to say outer space. Okay, and what the conspiracy? Um, well, I mean, based on the on the subtle clues you gave earlier on at the start, I'm going to say it's a conspiracy about presidential candidate, candidates faking the explosion of space goats in a biolab in Russia. Close? Interesting. Pretty close. Pretty close. Come on, admit it. That, that's got to be. It's gotta well, the be thing pretty is... Close. When I that the, the first conspiracy I mentioned in the intro is the topic of this week's episode. So you're right on the year. So it was a triple bluff. And your location, you've actually managed to actually put in the entire conspiracy in there, but because you've placed it in outer space and put the space goats in, you're actually almost completely wrong because of that. So if you just said 2019, Russia biolab explosion it would have been a trifecta but you got the year right you got the location completely wrong and then you kind of hedged your bets with the what by cramming everything in and as we know from a conjunction if one part of the conjunction is false the entire conjunction is false so it's really only one out of three so frankly my double bluff has worked Ugh, curse you propositional logic Okay, so we're actually honestly talking about... Now, at the start, you said uh, a Russian biolaboratory explosion you've never heard of. I've heard of quite a few biolaboratory explosions. That's a lie. I can't back that up. Um, tell me about this one, please. All right. So, yeah, actually, so I suddenly realized that because I wrote the intro after I wrote my notes. I was actually going to, I was actually going to lead with... So the the conspiracy here is an event at a biolab in 2019, which some people were worried about would have led to a virus getting out into the general population, which I was then hoping would then be the double bluff. Go, oh, you're going to talk about the Wuhan lab leak hypothesis. I know all about that. Because no, we're not in China. We're in Siberia. So yes, we are looking at an explosion at a biolab, ah, biolib, biolib, biolibs, the brand new liberal philosophy comes to you genetically engineered by liberals. New biolibs, they're biodegradable. No, so this is an explosion at a biolaboratory, not a bioliberalatory, or whatever I was trying to say initially. Back in September of 2019, and this was a biolab that contained smallpox. Now, smallpox is only found now in two locations in the world because it was successfully eradicated from the Earth, I think actually sometime in the late 1980s is when the last natural case of smallpox was actually found in the human population. There's been one subsequent case of smallpox post that point, but it was a lab problem rather than a field problem. And smallpox is only found in Atlanta, in the US, at the CDC. And it's also found in Siberia, in the Russian Federation, at the Vector Laboratory. And the twist in this episode was also in the intro, in that this is an event which occurred, so a biolab explosion in 2019, 
in which smallpox had the potential of being disseminated into a populated area of Russia, although Siberia is not the most populated part of Russia, given its kind of harsh environment. But weirdly enough, there is... There were a few people concerned about the laboratory explosion not being an accident back in 2019, but there seemed to be no conspiracy theories about this event at all, which is kind of astounding, mm. given we have an explosion in a biolab which contains smallpox, and nobody seems to care. No, especially since biolabs were one of the big talking points in the Ukraine invasion, that was... It almost it seemed at the time like they were casting around a little bit for a conspiracy theory to see which one would stick, and the biolabs one definitely did. People seemed interested in the possibility of biolabs in Ukraine, but one in Siberia, nobody cares. That seems odd. Yeah, now I have to say, this, this idea of talking about the vector explosion doesn't come from me. This is actually a listener request. So Kurt, one of our patrons, sent a message into the Patreon oh, probably two or three weeks ago asking that we cover this particular topic entirely because of the lack of conspiracy theories around it. And because Josh doesn't check the Patreon accounts in any way, shape, or form, it's I true. knew there was no way that Josh was going to know about this particular topic. Although, I see, as we'll get into the bonus content this week, people are working out how to contact you without going through May, which is a disturbing mm. new series of events. But we'll get into that in our bonus episode. So what's really interesting about this is, of course, in 2019, of course, we also have a novel coronavirus which takes the world by storm and has changed the very foundation of the way in which we live. And there might be a rationale behind that which explains why no one's talking about the vector explosion. But let's talk about the vector explosion. So in September 2019, a biolab undergoing renovation at a former Soviet bioweapon laboratory exploded. Now, the blast took place during repairs to a fifth-floor sanit uh, sanitary inspection room in Koltsevo in the Novosibirsk region of Siberia. I'm fairly sure I've just mispronounced Novosibirsk which I believe actually stands for New Siberia. It's one of the largest cities in Siberia. I know people who, who live there. Mm. And this laboratory facility is one of the two places, as I said earlier, which has the smallpox-causing varola vi virus. Now, the explosion was unusual for the sheer fact that at the time, people thought that this possibly wasn't an accident in part because of the history of the Vector Laboratory we're going to go into later on in this episode. So I'm going to read here from the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. Josh, do you know who the Atomic Scientists are and why they have a bulletin? Uh, no, but now I want to. So are you an Atomic Scientist? No, unfortunately not. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a non-Atomic Scientist, or an Atomic oh well. Non-Scientist, depending on how you want to describe it. So this is actually a fairly old bulletin from the the end of the Second World War. So basically after the bombs were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, there was kind of a feeling by atomic scientists that 
they should probably opine on a whole bunch of matters. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists has a varied history. If you actually look at the things they've written on in the past, some of it's been very good, some of it's been very dubious, but even though it sounds ever so slightly hyperbolic, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, it is a respectable publication. And they wrote on the vector explosion thusly. And this is in four parts. I'll take a kind of break between each so you can pass commentary on what I've said, but part the first. At a huge Soviet-era virology campus in Siberia called Vector, a sudden unexpected explosion in September blew out the windows and set parts of a building ablaze. Around the world, people sat up and took notice. Global public health and security officials were concerned the explosion might have affected labs holding dangerous viruses. Now, I should point out, they say around the world, people set up and take took notice, but I'm actually not entirely sure that's true. I guess some people did, but not many, and not in the, not in the news media, I suppose. No, no. So it continues, this is part the second, Biosecurity experts questioned whether it was a deliberate attack, and international security analysts and biodefense experts deliberated how to read the situation, acutely aware that biosafety breaches in a similar facility 40 years ago had caused a large and deadly anthrax outbreak that eventually exposed the Soviet Union's prohibited biowarfare activities. Ah, and that would be the Sviedlovsk leak that we've talked about on this podcast before, I assume, the anthrax one? Indeed it would be. Mm, mm, it all it all comes full circle. Now, I've got a question for you. When were bioweapons first banned? First banned? Oh, gosh, I wouldn't know. Is it a Geneva Convention thing? Right, it was it a Geneva Convention, but can you, guess, can you guess approximately when? I'm guessing it's probably more recently than we'd like it to be, so maybe the, the, the 1980... So you're out by about 60 years. Oh, is it older than that? 1925. Ah, so it was post-World post War One. Yes, okay. so post the germ warfare and gas warfare that occurred in the First World War. So the ban on biological weapons was also a ban on gas weapons at the same time. But yes, it turns out actually they were banned a lot earlier than I expected. Yeah, I was, I was assuming it was going to be... Mm-hmm. Assuming it was going to be one of those things where we, we, we would assume they've been illegal for a long, long time, but then be shocked to discover it's actually only been recently. But no, so I'm glad to see it has actually been a long time. I mean, it didn't stop people from engaging oh, no, in germ warfare no. or gas warfare in World War II, but it did also mean that people could then be prosecuted for engaging in germ warfare and gas warfare after World War II. Mm. So turns out that you know, even if some people won the war, they still got pinged for winning the war in the wrong way. So let me let me then continue. This is part the third. From media reports on the explosion, it was unclear exactly which parts of Vector in which labs had been affected by the explosion and fire. Of particular concern was the facility housing the unique smallpox causing Varola virus one of just two such repositories in the world, both routinely monitored by the World Health Organization. Mm. So at this stage, we weren't sure if smallpox... I see they don't notice smallpox by name, but is that what, reading between the lines, they're worried about? 
Or is it just a general we, well, yes. we're, not, uh, we're I, not sure? I can give, so I can give you a list of what else was contained at Vector or is still contained at Vector, still an ongoing biolaboratory. Vector contains smallpox, as mentioned, HIV, Marburg. Now, I don't know about you, Josh, but when, when people mention the Marburg virus, I think of the TV show Millennium. Ah, oh, I never... Oh, no, I did watch that, didn't I? Was that, was that Marburg? Was that the weird disease there? It was so a weaponized version, version of, of Marburg mm. from memory, yeah. yeah. It was, that's, that's been a while. Ebola, which looks a lot like Mar- Marburg, or Marburg looks a lot mm. like Ebola, but they are, they are separate viruses, even though they're from the same region of the world. Influenza and measles. Hmm. So, yeah, I guess you'd, you, you would want to know if any of those had um, been affected. But uh, that was Section 3. Bring it home with Section 4 then. So following the media report, Victim Management responded to queries from the World Health Organization with reassurance that the smallpox repository had not been affected, according to an organization spokesperson. From the organization's perspective, there was no need to follow up with a visit or ad hoc inspection. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Assuming assuming one takes their word. Well, yes, and therein lies the issue, because, of course, you might think, because this is Russia, that maybe you don't take it on trust that things are A-OK. Hmm. And yet, if, if, as you say, there have been surprisingly no conspiracy theories around it, I assume everybody did take them at their word? Well, yeah, therein lies the issue, because I do also think the emergence of COVID-19 a few months later may well have taken the sting out of the worries of what went on at the Victor Lab. So, yeah, so we have a fire in part of the laboratory. It reportedly spread through the building's ventilation system, so it ended up being a fire covering around about 30 square metres, which had to later be extinguished. And the worry was by some biosecurity experts that the explosion could have resulted in the propagation of viral aerosols leading to a global epidemic of smallpox. And given that we just recently wiped smallpox out, a re-emergence of smallpox really wouldn't be a particularly good good thing for the human population, as we're seeing with having to live with COVID-19 now. Viruses they're not much fun. They're not much no. fun at all. Harder to get rid of than you might think. Yeah. I'm more I'm more team phage than I am team virus. Mm, yes. More entertaining, if nothing else. Yes. And so this is, uh, here's some more about the potential problem of this explosion. And this is a lengthy, te- uh, terminologically laden piece from the Journal of Global Biosecurity, which has a great name, but it's no bulletin of the atomic scientists. A gas explosion of this scale can result in propagation of a detonation slash shockwave of speeds of 1,500 to 2,000 meters per second. The flame, on the other hand, propagates at a slower speed, typically 20 to 25 milliseconds, and up to several hundred milliseconds. In a deflagration, the commonest way a flame propagates in a gas explosion unburnt gas is propagated ahead of the flame. Therefore, in this instance, if any biological material were present, it could have been propagated and aerosolized well ahead of the fire and before the fire was widespread. 
the reports of shattered glass across multiple floors in the building is indicative of a sufficiently strong explosion that could lead to a dispersion of contagious pathogens to surrounding areas. An explosion interacting with a vial of liquid or frozen pathogen will, will quickly and completely rupture the contents, creating tiny droplets or particles in the order of microns that could conceivably be projected well clear of the building and resulting fire by the shockwave. Pathogens present in liquid or solid media, even frozen pathogens, could be at risk of dispersion during an explosion. A blast that shatters the windows in a building would equally be expected to shatter freezers, fridges, biosafety cabinets and incubators. We do not have adequate research data on the effect of explosions on pathogen dispersion to make confident assertions about the safety to the public following this incident. BSL-4 laboratories are generally not designed to withstand explosions, so we should assume that secure structures, equipment and workspaces were affected. Mm. Well, that sounds a little bit ominous. In a, in a worst-case scenario kind of way, I suppose... Um, yes, and actually perhaps... one of the criticisms of this particular report was that they did take the worst case scenario and then hypothesized from that. Or other people are going, well, yeah, sure, that could have happened, but it's not as likely as the fire actually burning the virus out. The situation they're describing is very unique and could happen but it's not the most likely thing to have happened. At the same time, the people running the Vector organization were going, yeah, well, there's, uh, there's nothing to see here. Everything is fine. There are no problems. I mean, we just had an explosion, uh, but that's just normal operating procedures. So everything's fine. Mm. So do we know anything more than conjecture and officially everything's fine stuff? Do we know what exploded, for one thing? So apparently the room in question was being renovated and the person who's in charge of the renovation was negligent. Indeed, the person who was in the room at the time, who I believe ended up suffering from burns over 80% of his body, was sued in the Russian courts for criminal negligence whilst engaging in renovations and was found guilty of neg negligent behaviour. So it appears to be basically a gas flame in a room basically being repainted without adequate ventilation, thus causing an explosion. So that is the official story, basically. A room was being renovated. The renovation went probably as badly as you could imagine, because explosions at laboratories containing smallpox, pretty much on the very mm. end of, the, of extreme renovation failures there. But that apparently was that, as far as we know. Mm. I mean, we had, what was it, um, back here in Auckland? Was it the Sky City? Well, there was a massive fire in a building that was being renovated because some guy had left yeah, a well, the, torch the, where he the, shouldn't have. Not the renovation, the creation of the brand new Sky City casino building. Right, yeah, yeah, that was turned into a massive fire in that instance rather than an explosion. But, um, 
yeah, a relatively simple mistake can end up being very costly. And if, as you say, this was to do with a poorly ventilated room, then yeah, I suppose I can see how it could get more explosive. But, uh, but so if there was a court case, presumably evidence was presented there and so on about what exactly went on. Presumably. I mean, once again, the worry here is, of course, cover-ups might be de rigueur in the Russian situation. Mm. I, mean, so I think what's interesting is at the time, there were people, particularly the authors of the Journal of Global Biosecurity Study, who were going, we don't know whether this was an accident or whether this was some kind of deliberate attack. And we don't know why we should trust the Russian Federation when they say it was merely an accident. Mm. And yet it sounds like that's what happened. Has, has there be, were there any rumblings in the sort of international community politically or anything like that? Well, not as far as I can tell. I mean, it seems that the people who were going, this might not be an accident, or there might be more to the story, because of course there is the other hypothesis, that maybe it wasn't del a deliberate attack, but maybe it's not the simple accident it's been officially made out to be. Maybe there's a bigger story here about, say, lack security standards at a laboratory containing things like Marburg, HIV, smallpox, measles, rubella, the whole sh the whole shenango. Shenango? That's a brand new word. I'm going to keep using that. Shenango. Yes. Durango. Shenango. So, and the, these, these things are kind of motivated by the fact that the month before... Russian authorities had been very slow to release information about an explosion at a military testing site, which caused a spike in radiation levels when a liquid-fueled rocket carrying nuclear materials exploded, killing at least five people. So people at the time were going, well, look, there was a situation a month ago where you know nuclear materials were blown up and people died. And Russian authorities were very, very hesitant to actually say, oh, this is what went on there. They engaged in an immediate, we're going to cover up what really occurred. So when the people at Vector went, ah, it's just a simple renovation explosion. These things happen all the time. People went, well, they don't happen all the time. And also, we don't necessarily trust that your government is going to let you say what happened. Mm. Yeah, which I guess is a reasonable, uh, a reasonable concern. So, is 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 that where we leave it? Did it did it was there? Well, it sort of no. I thought it would actually COVID... be quite useful to talk a little about Victor's history, because uh, in part I think one of the reasons why there's a huge amount of suspicion at the time the explosion occurred was actually really a demonstration of people's suspicion about bio labs in Russia as kind of a consequence of what happened not just in the Cold War, but also what happened after the Cold War. So, as we noted earlier, 1925 is when we have a Geneva Convention with the banning of biological and gas weaponry, a convention which basically got broken during World War II, and then during the Cold War, of course, with Russia being basically living outside of Western norms, it was known that the Soviet Union were developing bioweapons in contravention of that Geneva Convention. But that's in part because they, that Russia also knew the West was engaging in bioweapon 
research in convention, in contravention of that convention. As we've talked about on this podcast in the past, there was an arms race going on during the Cold War. We've talked a little bit about the psychic arms race, which caused both Russia and the US to engage in spending moderate sums of money on trying to make goats die by getting people to stare at them or getting people to dream about where they thought military bases were and the like, because it was felt that even though our side, our side either being the US or the USSR, realised that there's nothing really to the psychic warfare stuff. If it turns out the other side actually do find something to it, well, we can't let them have the advantage. So we better do some research into something that we think isn't going to bear fruit on the minuscule chance that our fundamental understanding of the world is completely wrong and it turns out we can talk to angels after all. So the USSR was engaging in bioweapon research because the West was also engaging in bioweapons research. But in 1975, there was a biological weapons convention which came into force and the Soviet Union signed up to that particular international treaty, as did the US at the time. So technically... In 1975, the USSR stopped developing biological weapons. Josh, do you think the Soviet Union stopped developing biological weapons in 1975? I would be very much surprised if they did. Uh, in fact, I know they didn't because they had anthrax in uh, Sverdlovsk. I actually just pulled up our Sverdlovsk leak episode notes so I'd know I could compare it to that one. 1979, that was. So, yeah, very much they had not no, stopped. I'm, I'm not very good with maths, but I think 1979 is at least five to seven years after 1975. It's definitely after. I, I, I don't know there's any way to be sure how long after, but, but definitely after. Yeah, anywhere between 6 to 17 years after 1975, 1979 occurred. Especially if we use Fomenko's revised chronology. Now, officially, Victor was engaging in work on pesticide development at that time and definitely wasn't doing biological weapons research, which is precisely why by the 1990s, Victor had the capacity and was producing two tons of weaponized smallpox virus a year. Goodness. I mean, it makes but, a very um, effective pesticide if the pests you're trying to eradicate are human beings. Yes, yes. That, uh, I mean, that sounds like a lot of smallpox. It was a lot of smallpox. Two tons of smallpox is... Well, actually, I actually don't, actually don't know how... No. Um, I mean, smallpox is it's quite... It, I mean, by its nature, it's a smallpox. It's small, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I, and name, I don't know so. how weighty each individual pox in a smallpox is. I mean, it could it could be like lead. Yes, is it is it is it is it two small pox and one small pock? I don't even know. Mm. But, yeah, uh, what? Yes, what is, certainly what is tons the of it would be lots. Poxes? I don't know. I have, poxes, like I have boxes and poxes of small pox, or two tons of small poxes. Maybe it's poxen, like oxen, because the English language makes no sense. Mm, two tons of small mm. poxen, please. <laughs> yes. Uh, so sorry, when was that? The 1990s. Now, 1990s, in 1992, yeah. the USSR stopped bioweapons research because Yeltsin said so. Yes. 
Well, he did. Uh, going back to our old notes, I see 1992 was the year when Boris Yeltsin admitted that the um, Sverdlovsk leak had 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 uh, been involved with military developments and was not, as some had tried to argue, just a naturally occurring anthrax outbreak. Yeah, so in 1992, Yeltsin said, look, we're going to stop this bioweapons research. And he even invited people in the West to visit the various laboratories. But as people noted at the time, even though Yeltsin said we're stopping bioweapon research, which is almost in part a reaction to what was going on with the Svedlosk leak, with the realisation that, oh, Russia's doing a lot more than we thought they were doing. So Yeltsin and the Kremlin had to basically find a way to shut down that speculation. So officially, everything ends. But the actual shutdown of the research remained completely undocumented. So there was no there was no paper trail to show that labs were stopping their research. And there are kind of two schools of thought here. One is that Yeltsin was sincere and said, we are going to stop bioweapons research at this time. And he was basically ignored. Or Yeltsin was insincere. There was a PR crisis going on at the time. One way to make that PR crisis disappear is to confidently assert in front of the Duma, we are stopping all research into bioweapons at this time, and then wink a few times, walk off stage, and realize that things are going to continue as they were. And indeed, we know something was going on, because in the mid-90s, which is, as far as I know, after 1992, because 1992, I would Pretty say, sure. would be early 90s. So mid-90s really has to be kind of post-1992, within about yep. 60 to 80 years. In the yep. mid-90s, FSB officers were regularly stealing specimens of deadly bacteria and viruses from Western biolabs. Mm. So they were, they to... were bringing samples back home, and I don't think it was tourist tat. Oh, maybe... Maybe maybe they were just stealing them from the Americans so they could take them home and like dispose of them responsibly. Maybe 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 they were helping clean up the world's biological weapon supplies. That sounds like something Sorry, the FSB would do. Sorry, for Kremlin PR. Oh yes, we steal the the laboratory samples to help clean up American problem. Maybe it's also, like Pokemon, this is terribly you know? racist. Transylvanian accent. I'm I'm not even Russian. I am Dracula. Ah, 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 ah. Now I count things. One smallpox. Two smallpoxes. Three smallpoxen. Hmm. Maybe 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 it was like a collecting collectible craze within the FSB, like like Pokemon or something. <laughs> the po- quite the literally Pokemon got a catch smallpox. Them all. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the other. So. So, so first of all, we have this kind of this weird history. So Vector being kind of the biggest lab in Siberia doing this research. There's this long history of the Soviet Union saying, we're not doing biological weapons research. We secretly are. We've stopped doing biological research. We really haven't. And then, of course, you get the collapse of the Soviet Union. And that's where the West comes in, because as the Soviet Union collapses, people get very concerned, what's going to happen to the biolabs, and what's going to happen to the things inside the biolabs? And there's a bunch of concerns here. There's the concern that as the Soviet Union collapses, and we saw this at the time, things get sold. 
So there's an entire museum devoted to Soviet propaganda in LA. And that's because as the Soviet Union was collapsing, a rich American was in Moscow and he just bought everything he could, which sometimes meant he was buying things that had literally been on the president's desk a day beforehand, had been smuggled out by someone in the staff and then sold on the street. So stuff was being sold to outside interests at either low cost or with in backroom deals. And there was a concern that stuff in biolabs would be sold to, say, North Korea or be sold to Iraq. And the West were not particularly interested in their enemies getting hold of bioweapons. That would not be good for the West. Because it wouldn't be good for the West because the only people who are allowed to buy bioweapons are people who are buying them from the West. You can't buy bioweapons from other people. That would be unfair in a capitalist marketplace. So there was that particular concern. There's also the concern that maybe safety issues would be an ongoing concern with funding in the collapse of the USSR. There was kind of a cliche going on during the Cold War that bioweapons labs were unsafe compared to bioweapons labs in the West. It turns out that when Western scientists actually got to inspect bioweapons labs in Russia and other policies, they discovered that Despite the cliché of life being cheap in the Soviet Union, the people who worked in bioweapons labs, they were very, very conscious of how unsafe their jobs would be unless they had incredibly strict safety standards. So sometimes the technology they were using would be older than you'd find in, say, a Western lab, but they had very strict protocols on hand. So it was there was no worry that the labs themselves were unsafe, The worry was, without adequate funding ongoing, labs that were safe during the collapse would not be safe a few years after the collapse, and that might lead to things happening there. Also, even though the safety issues in those labs were pretty good, there was one particular issue that Western scientists were not particularly keen on, which was the reusing of disposables. So it turns out that you'd go to these labs and you would find that scientists would be reusing pipettes or reusing gloves, sometimes gloves that had been thrown away and were meant to be disposed of as hazardous materials. They'd get reused because small things like that, broken bulbs and the like, were not being replaced on on the regular as maybe they should be. There was this concern that There would be ongoing safety issues unless the West stepped in and engaged in funding those labs as an ongoing concern. And so the West basically stepped in and engaged in the funding of those labs to ensure that A, stuff didn't get sold as the Soviet Union collapsed, and B, the safety standards were kept up during that that transition. Um. Which leads us, I guess, to a uh, what what's happening in labs in in the current age if uh, explosions like that can go off, and also b, I guess it ties into the whole Ukraine thing as well because wasn't the the, the labs that people were concerned about were ones where the Americans had been involved in making sure they stayed safe and what have you weren't they, which some people thought was actually the Americans using them to 
make all sorts of horrible stuff. Well, yes, and in 2019, well before the COVID crisis, Russia's disinformation campaigns were very much focused on talking about how there were bioweapons labs in the Ukraine that the West was involved in. And at the time in 2019, people in the West were going, yeah, but there are also bioweapons labs in Russia that we're involved in. There are bioweapons labs in countries which Russia doesn't see as enemies but as as allies, such as Georgia, where there are bioweapons labs or biolaboratories. Probably shouldn't call them bioweapons labs. They are laboratories which these days study biological contaminants. Historically, some of those labs were engaged in bioweapon research. Those labs these days are studying more how do we stop an outbreak or can we learn something about this virus to stop a similar virus in the future. There are lots of these labs all around and inside the Russian Federation, which the West has been happily funding for quite some time. So why are you suddenly concerned about only the similar labs in Ukraine? Almost seems if you're coming up with some kind of rationale to create a sense of being under attack by ignoring other salient bits of data. Mm, weird, that. Very strange. Very weird. 2019, very weird. I mean, it's strange that the country that invented the term disinformation might still be engaging in producing disinformation. Mm. So, returning to your actual topic, is, is that where it stands? There was an explosion. They 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 they, they had a had a um, explanation of what went on that was non sinister. Everybody got on with their lives and then was distracted by COVID. Yeah, which does raise the question: Where's the conspiracy theory? Because Ooh. it seems like the kind of thing that normally would have generated quite a number of conspiracy theories about there being a cover up as to exactly what happened at the laboratory or unexplained illnesses in the region, and that being covered up as, oh, it's not related to the explosion at Vector. No, this this smallpox-like virus, which is spreading through the community, has nothing to do with what happened at Vector a few months ago. And yet, as Kurt points out, there appears to be no conspiracy theories about the Vector explosion. And it seems like the kind of thing you would expect there to be conspiracy theories about, and yet a biolaboratory containing smallpox, which had been involved in bioweapon engineering in the past, explosion occurs and the world does not seem to care. And that seems quite unusual. It does. I mean, is it simply a case of COVID coming along and blowing any any competing theories out of the water? I mean... That, I think, took is the most attention. likely explanation here, that if we hadn't had COVID-19 conspiracy theories emerging at the end of 2019, or indeed just the weird stories circulating about there being a novel vi- virus circulating around the world, then maybe the Vector story would have been revisited and become part of the lexicon of, say, Alex Jones's cohort of conspiracy theories about infectious diseases. But I think COVID-19 so quickly dominated the discussion there and everything became what's causing COVID or is COVID even real 
that the vector explosion basically just got forgotten about to the point mm. where no one seems to talk about it. If you do a, a cursory search for the vector explosion online, you find a whole bunch of articles from September and October of 2019. And that's basically it. It doesn't seem mm. to be mentioned anywhere else. Mm. Oh, well, maybe it's a... Uh... Maybe it's just a footnote when people come to people such as yourself come to to talk about the conspiracy theories that um, that, that 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 were everywhere following COVID nineteen. This it, uh, I guess just goes to show that other ones that could have been competition uh, were were snuffed out before they could even even find their feet. Just like Jesus, isn't too mixed. Exactly like Jesus. And in case people are wondering why I've just said just like Jesus, because, of course, there were lots of messianic figures wandering around the, the Levant 2,000 years ago. Only one of those, well, actually two of those, have become so famous that they're known about today, which, of course, is Jesus and John the Baptist. Mm. Yes, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it is an, uh, a suitable um, analogy. Although, if we do follow my analogy to its logical conclusion, I mean, there were hundreds of messianic figures wandering about the place at the time. My analogy would indicate there were hundreds of biolab explosions going on sometime between July and September of 2019. Well, and maybe there were. Yeah, maybe I, mean, were I, mean, never I mean, I didn't know much about the Victor explosion until recently. No. There, could, there really could be hundreds more of these unknown explosions. It could be the case that biolabs are just exploding all the time. It's, it just, just yeah, turns out to be something they that do. they Yeah, it's just what they do. They're, mm. they're very badly built and they explode. I mean, they, you get a buildup of small poxin and it causes an explosion. I'm trying mm. to make... I tried to make explosion almost, and rhyme almost there, rhymed, but and didn't, it no. almost worked. Almost, almost, worked. almost, almost. Okay. Well, then, I, uh, it certainly sounds like we've come to the end of an episode. Then, is, uh, we is have. there anything else? Excellent. Well, thank you very much. That was that, that. That was yeah, an interesting thing to hear about something that you would have thought we would have heard a lot more about, and yet didn't. So. Uh, being the end of the episode, it's probably a good time to point out that uh, once we're done recording this, we're going to record um, a bonus episode. And this week, we're going to be going through the, the, the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy mailbag of, of a sort, um, going through a little bit of various items of correspondence we've received recently, uh, unsolicited, I think, in most cases. Uh, so if you're interested in that and you're a patron, then, then the, the uh, episode will be showing up in your feed or inbox or wherever the heck podcasts end up after we finish recording them. Uh, if you'd like to hear about that and you're not a patron, just need to go to patreon.com and sign yourself up to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. Um, and if you're not interested in that and you don't want to be a patron, well, then that's, that's, that's okay. You do you. It's a free yeah. world. Yeah, mm. I mean, mm. I mean, I don't know why you're lis listening to this podcast if you don't even like. It. Well, it's just not necessarily they don't like the podcast. Maybe they just don't like us. And they, I also don't know don't why you want to the podcast if you don't like us. I mean, our content is us. Well, yeah, I suppose we we are the we we do bring the flavour. I suppose to what would otherwise simply be a dry. Uh, <clears throat> recitation of conspiracy theory events but anyway whatever whatever you're doing if you're listening to us now you're our audience and that's fine um 
but I think I'm 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 starting to get a frog in the, the back of my throat, and I think I need to go and drink some water before we start recording the bonus episode. So I'm going to call this to a close and go get hydrated. But before that, I do that, I'm just going to go and say goodbye. Durango. The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy is Josh Anderson and me, Dr. M. R. X. Dentith. You can contact us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider supporting the podcast via our Patreon. And remember, remember, oh December, what a night.